ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Been a while. We are back for another edition of the Nosebleeds Podcast. Emmanuel Barbari, Nick DeLuca with you. There have been some bouts with COVID in Major League Baseball, but the league has shown it can and will push through. And Nick, isn't it great just to have some baseball to talk about again on a nightly basis? For sure. It's been great to just be able to sit back and talk about baseball for a change as opposed to everything else that is sort of going on in the real world and not to ignore any of that stuff, but it has been nice to have a chance to talk about baseball. And there have been some hiccups. We've had an outbreak or two. We've had, I think, the MLB exercise pretty extreme caution in a lot of cases. I'm a little bit surprised, actually, that they have been as cautious as they have been in terms of we have a positive test, we're really shutting everything down. And that seems to have worked to as best they can contain this virus, but it's been good. It's been necessary to try and keep this season going. And again, a third of the way through only 25 games or so in for some of the teams, other teams haven't played as many games. So it's tough to get a read on the landscape, but we'll try and digest it as best we can. And at least we're talking about some baseball. And Nick, I think you raised a good point. It's that some of these teams have lacked the competitive balance necessary and they're trying to play catch up because the Marlins had that huge outbreak. The Cardinals had an outbreak and at one point were two and three while the rest of the division had played 15 games. So there are some issues there where if a couple of more teams had had outbreaks at the same time, this season may not have survived, but major league baseball has been fortunate to an extent where the complete shutdown method for some of these teams, has been able to work. Well, I think it raises an interesting competitive balance situation because I don't think it's realistic to expect the Cardinals and the Marlins to get to 60 games. I don't know how possible that it is. I was watching the Yankees game this this past, what, what, what day was it? I don't know. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what day it is. Yeah, exactly. I got to look it up. Okay, I, it was it was Thursday. That's it. That was it. The, the last game they played against the Rays. On Thursday, Buck Showalter was talking about how they may want to incentivize the teams that are able to get to 60 games in some way or, or maybe make it a minimum number of games that these teams have to play. I don't know that I love that because, as we've seen with the Yankees again being canceled this weekend, they had this situation happen with the Phillies as well. The Yankees have only had one positive test since summer camp, and that's been a role this Chapman. He's been back. They have done a good job of managing this thing. And LeMahieu. Right. Well, uh, and Sessa, but I'm saying it, once they broke summer camp, they've only had right, Chapman. Right. What they, well, they're getting penalized regardless, right? Because they're not able to play. And this is through no fault of their own. Nobody tested positive on the Yankees, and yet they're losing some games. So maybe that's not the perfect answer. I floated around in talking to some other people about maybe it's you, you shorten the season, quote-unquote, you keep the same schedule, but you move to 55 games count. So you get to 55 games. And then every bonus game for a team that plays over 55, you get to pick your best record through the 55 games. In essence, you drop five losses. Now, in a 60-game season 
or in a 55-game season, five games may be too much. You could also just say we're going to scrap some of the interleague games and we're going to really focus on the division could reduce some of those things and could massage the schedule a bit but it's going to be a challenge you're going to see a lot of double headers I think at some point that's another competitive balance question because some of these teams have had situations where it's like how can you expect them to play two games in a day three days in a row or when it really gets down to it to try and make up some of these games and then in turn for some of the other teams that haven't done anything wrong. I mean, I think you can say, okay, well, the Marlins went out to a bar or the Cardinals went to a casino, so they deserve to have to make up those games. Well, the Yankees didn't do any of that, and they're still missing games, and they're going to have to make things up at the end of it. So I think it's a difficult balance to try and strike, but I'm not 100% sure that we're going to end up with your final results through 60 games are going to be how this thing is going to be determined into getting into the playoffs. It is helped, however, by you have 16 teams, eight in each each league that are getting in, so it may not be as tight as it otherwise would be. There is a ripple effect, and that's one of the reasons Major League Baseball was so quick to approve the seven-inning double headers. It takes a strain off some of these teams where you're able to go boom, boom, and all of a sudden you have two games knocked out in one single day. So this winning percentage thing is going to get a little wacky as the season comes to a head. But, Nick, I think you hit it right on the head. That's the reason there are expanded playoffs, and they're toying with that here in 2020. These teams aren't necessarily going to have the same competitive balance, and there's not as much of a premium this year on winning your division. For instance, the Yankees, who we'll get into in a moment, and the ravage of injuries that are way too reminiscent of 2019, they just got overtaken in first place by the Tampa Bay Rays. That does not really matter for the Yankees as long as they're whole come the postseason because look if you're a top-seeded team and you have to play a three-game set against any of the playoff teams you're not feeling too comfortable at the end of the day no I don't think you're feeling too comfortable but I think that that matters in particular if MLB follows through and taking the postseason to a bubble right because then there's really no advantage you are playing in the same place you'd play either way I guess if you feel more comfortable wearing pinstripes as opposed to road grays, that's the difference. Otherwise, it's it's really all the same, and I agree with you 100%. It doesn't matter. The Yankees have really had difficulty with the injuries, as you mentioned, all too reminiscent of 2019, but as long as they're healthy come postseason time, it's really not even that much of a battle to get into the postseason right now because you've got eight top to bottom in your league they'll be okay, they'll get in, and then it's just about getting healthy. They want to make sure that it is competitively balanced across the board, where if you're determining things by winning percentage, nobody is really sitting there making a case that we got job. At the end of the day, if your winning percentage doesn't allow you to be one of the top eight teams in your league, I don't know how much case you have to say, oh, come on, you know, we were really a World Series contender and we should have been in the postseason. I don't think that's going to be a situation that happens. So, again, the regular season, in the same way that 162 may diminish each individual game and expanded playoffs in a lesser season has also sort of diminished the regular season in a lot of ways. It's perfect for this format, and we'll see if it does carry over into 2021 based on how the league likes this current format. But in a 60-game season, there are going to be some flukes who stick around for a while, and you're giving them a platform to succeed. But at the same time, they're going to have to compete against the best of the best in a three-game set. 
right off the bat. You're going to have the teams that are really formidable but struggle off the bat, and they still have an avenue to make the playoffs, and they don't have to win their division when they otherwise would in a weak division. So I really like the format. I really like what it's doing. And right now, aside from maybe Miami in the National League East, there aren't that many flukes going on. The Baltimore Orioles were playing well for a while, but we're still early in the season, and the standings look basically like they should. So it's not like the 60-game format is hampering the really, really talented teams in Major League Baseball right now. The Dodgers are playing 7-14 baseball. The Cubs are at 640. Atlanta's 15-11. and 11. The Twins, the A's have been ridiculously good. Houston started really slow, but this format has bought them time, and now they're red hot, and we mentioned the Yankees and the Rays. So these are some of the cream of the crop teams that you're going to see at the end of the day. Nick, let's get into the Yankees because this has gotten to an absurd level that I don't think we truly appreciated enough back in 2019 because time and time again, a Mike Talkman or a Gio Urshela or even a Mike Ford came to the plate and did their job. And the Yankees were able to buy time. By the postseason, they were mostly whole. And we said, hey, 103 wins. That was great. And we chalked it up as the next man up season. I'm not sure how sustainable this type of baseball is. The Yankees just aren't the same team, especially without DJ LeMahieu on the field. They've weathered the Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton injuries before. LeMahieu's that guy in the lineup that it pains me on a nightly basis to see guys come up to the plate who can't deliver with runners in scoring position like he can. Like we said, they might be fine at the end of the day, but they can't go this much longer with everyone, and I mean everyone, out of the fold. It's really tough to watch because when you think about getting whole again, you're talking about LeMahieu, Judge, Torres, and Stanton, one, two, three, four in the order. And that's pretty darn good, if not the best in all of the American League. And the Yankees are missing all four of those guys right now. So it's certainly frustrating. And there are only so many injuries that you can weather. I mean, there's a reason that they are a team that is as good as they are in the way that they have played. So I'm interested to see how this works out and to see if they can really continue to weather the storm. I think that in an odd way, uh, COVID outbreak for the Mets will help them just take a step back a little bit and hopefully get Judge healthy in the near future. He will add a lot to their lineup. But it's just so difficult to watch because you know that they're so much of a better team than what they're putting out on the field right now. And it just sort of begs the question of what's going on because this was something that you sat there and said was a fluke last year. We were going to redo the way that the training staff worked and we were going to change the approach about how we dealt with some of these injuries. And yet here we are a year later and they seem to continue to be happening. So They'll have to figure out a way to just try and keep some of the guys healthy. And I think it's in some ways a product of the type of player that they have. I don't know that Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, the way that they play and as big as they are, are conducive to playing 162 games year in, year out. But the most important thing, is, as we talked about off the top, is to just make sure they're healthy come playoff time because this is still a team that is formidable. And let's not forget, their offense hasn't been terrible. They're ninth in runs 
fourth in homers. They're second in on-base percentage, and they're tied for first in WRC Plus at 123. So this offense has been good. Yes, they've taken a step back in the last couple, let's say, week or so because of the mounting injuries, but it's really still been the pitching that has been the problem. And that's something that they're going to really have to find a way to address. The starting pitching hasn't been great. The bullpen, I think, has let them down so far this year. It has been average, and this is not a bullpen that's built to be average. But they have done enough. And I'll point to Luke Voigt as the primary example here, as a dude who's been incredible in the last week. They've done enough offensively. They need to pick up the slack somewhere, and the starting pitching and the bullpen in particular in this last series against the Rays is what needs to get better if they're going to want to win this way. They're not going to put up 11 runs a game when they're starting Tyler Wade at short and Tyro Estrada at second, but if they pitch a little bit better, they'll still find a way to win. And I think we are waiting for that time where the starting rotation clicks because it hasn't yet, and we're waiting for the time where the bullpen clicks, and that may have to wait a while now with Tommy Canely out for the season and Zach Britton out with the hamstring injury, which Aaron Boone does say should be a short-term thing. So if you're looking at the glass-half-full mindset, Judge is bought some time this weekend. He was supposed to be back. He will be back. The Yankees could get an extra start out of Garrett Cole, who's been terrific so far. Basically, right after the weekend, you can slot him in and reset the rotation. So those are the positives you take from the Yankee perspective right now. The rotation has not clicked yet. James Paxton, before the injury that just got revealed after the game on Thursday, one of those pile-up type injuries, was not pitching like James Paxton. Masahiro Tanaka was starting to find a little bit of a groove but was not stressed out to start the season and is not in peak Tanaka form yet. And then minus Luis Severino in this rotation out for the year with Tommy John, you're basically going with Garrett Cole and then... You're trying to piece it together when you don't have Paxton and Tanaka pitching like the prime versions of themselves. And you're going to be without Paxton now for an extended period of time. So in a longer term theme for the Yankees, they'll survive. They'll be at least second place in this division, if not first. You need to figure out this pitching as you go through these final 30, 35 games of the season. And then you need to get hole in the lineup because... You talked about the numbers, even without Judge and LeMahieu and Stanton. The numbers will be there. They may even score enough runs to win games on a nightly basis. But they just need to be healthy in the lineup, and they need to figure out what works pitching-wise. Because right now, I'm not all too confident in the starting rotation. No, not at all. 15th in ERA, 17th in war, and they have the third highest homer per nine rate in the major leagues. So when you're not certainly getting dominant pitching, and when you're giving up a lot of home runs, not helped, of course, by playing in Yankee Stadium, it's going to be difficult to find ways to win. And Jordan Montgomery has been up and down. Jay Happ has been a disaster. And that's really the difficulty because you're sitting there saying, with all these mounting injuries, I think the, the plan for the Yankees is to try and not pitch him as much as they can because he's got a vesting option for 2021 at $17 million that they can't blame them here, don't want to pick up. And they may be forced to have to, right, they may be forced to have to do so if he gets to 10 starts. He's made three so far this year. So he's going to make their decision very easy if he continues to pitch this way. Given up in his first start, the two homers to Baltimore to get him right back in after the Yanks scored five runs in the first inning. Second start, he's got six walks against Philadelphia. He's really struggled as another guy 
who they really invested a lot in, in terms of trade capital, the dollar amount that they re-signed him at. It's just been difficult because outside of Garrett Cole, I don't know who's taking the ball for the Yankees this year right now, outside of a healthy and improving Tanaka and James Paxton, who's now on the IL, but with his velocity issues and I'd also been saying I was really concerned about his health because this is something that we saw from Chris Sale all of last year. Oh, it's just his arm slot. He's not throwing the right way. Uh, his mechanics were, oh, okay. And then, he, and then then Chris Sale needed Tommy John surgery. So I, I wasn't 100% confident that Paxton has been healthy this whole year. Maybe that is borne out. Maybe it's not. But they're going to have to find a way to, to do better starting pitching-wise. As the bullpen has shown this year, they have not been able to – replicate a superhuman effort to the point of being the third best bullpen in the American League and uh, in the major leagues rather and that will be really difficult to do when you don't have Britain out for some time and you're losing Tommy Canely for the season so they're reduced effectively in the bullpen Adam Adovino hasn't been great this year a four ERA in 12 appearances Luis Avilon another guy on the IL waiver claim who's been pitching in my opinion, in some mind-bogglingly high-leverage roles. Zach Britton, again, on the IL. And then Chad Green, who's probably been the best reliever they've had all year at a an 071 ERA and eight appearances. Uh, they don't pitch. So I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I'm genuinely worried about someone like Chad Green when he doesn't pitch because it makes you wonder, as a Yankee fan, look, where is this guy? Because he's been the most reliable reliever, and it's not even a question at this point of the season. Going back to Montgomery, I do love what I've seen from him. The numbers wouldn't indicate as much, but the ERA a bit inflated by a couple of late-in-his-start home runs that he's allowed. In addition to his last start against Boston, it was probably ticketed for six innings, one run, and the rain kicked in, and they had to remove him from the game. So I do like the signs I've seen from Montgomery. And I do like what that bodes for the Yankees moving forward. But they do need to figure out the rotation depth because Jay Happ looked great in spring training, both versions of spring training, and just wasn't able to put it together once again. He's been an utter disappointment since the Yankees signed him. And he has no right to be complaining when the Yankees skip him in the rotation because if I'm the Yankees and I'm bought some time by these off days, just like when they were slated to play Philadelphia and then they got ticketed for Baltimore, you start Garrett Cole. Uh, you start him as soon as you can because the key in this 60-game season is getting Garrett Cole as many starts as you can get him. And he's been every bit worth the money so far. So, uh, Jay Happ, that really bothered me that he's he's saying, you know, I was a little you know ticked off that I was skipped. Pitch better, and, and you won't be skipped. Uh, the Jay Happ of 2018 wasn't getting skipped. The Jay Happ of 2020 arguably doesn't deserve to be in this rotation. Well, he might not be if they were at full strength. And there was talk about perhaps trading him during the offseason for a brief period before the Yankees understood that Luis Severino was not going to be available this year because of the Tommy John surgery. But if you look up and down this rotation, he probably doesn't fit and is a very expensive bullpen option for them in a non-leveraged capacity if you have a rota rotation that's at full strength. Unfortunately for the Yankees, they do not. And that is abundantly clear and it's just about finding a way to piece it together. So I think it's about both groups stepping up. The starting pitching has to give them a little bit more length and try and figure some of these things out. They have really put the bullpen in a difficult position to have to eat a pretty significant number of innings. 
And then going into the bullpen, they, when they have gotten their opportunities, have not been the shutdown group that we have been accustomed to. Contrast that to the Rays bullpen that we just saw this past weekend, who was superb. In this season, the Rays bullpen against the Yankees has pitched 37 and a third innings to a 2.65 ERA, 11 earned runs in 37 innings. The Yankees hitting against the Rays bullpen, 2.15 slugging, 3.33, right? That's what we expected from the Yankees bullpen. That's what the Rays are getting right now. And they've got a bunch of injuries too in their pitching staff with Morton, Yanni Chirinos, and, and some other bullpen arms as well. So the Yankees bullpen needs to step it up. Their starting rotation needs to get better, but as a whole, I think they will be okay. There's no need to overreact. They're going to figure it out. They're going to get healthy, but this is something that, at least in in the near term, is a bit concerning, particularly because they're not healthy right now. So the Yankees at 16 and nine. The Rays lost last night, so they are 17 and 10. That is a deadlock atop the American League East. Let's finish with the Mets here, and of course, as is the norm in 2020, you run the risk every time you step on a baseball field of missing a couple of games, and that's what the Mets are going through. A couple of the members of the organization, they're not specifying players or staff, did come down with COVID, and it happened conveniently enough while the Mets were in Miami playing the first three games of that four-game set, so that's been a hotbed this year. For the coronavirus, the Mets at 12 and 14 were not playing well to begin with. They are, I I would just put it this way with the Mets. Without Noah Syndergaard in that rotation, with Steven Matz pitching the way he is, with Rick Porcello and Michael Waka as regular options when they really shouldn't be in a big league staff right now, and Jacob deGrom out on an island where if he misses a start, the Mets look unrecognizable. This is just not that good of a baseball team. And the Mets have been forced into a situation now where COVID is side and and they'll likely regroup after this weekend and get their negative tests and go from there. They are just in a very, very difficult spot in their rotation to the extent that they need to slot in Seth Lugo, who should be out there helping a very suspect bullpen. So the Mets have been the disappointing version of what we would have expected due to the fact that they just do not have the pitching depth necessary to compete with Atlanta and Philadelphia, even though the Phillies and the Nationals are struggling so far this season. Yeah, the Mets pitching staff is 24th in the league in ERA. So that's not something that we would have pegged them for at the start of the season. With Jacob deGrom, again, losing Syndergaard, and then Marcus Stroman opts out, and it's just been a mess for them pretty much the entire year. They haven't been helped by an ineptitude with runners on base hitting in that way too. Their offense has found a way to get a lot of traffic and then not really follow through on it. So that's been the shortfall offensively, but it's kind of disappointing because of the openness of the division. When you're talking about the NL East going into it, you're thinking that this is going to be a really difficult situation for the Mets because of the competition that they're going to have to play, particularly when the Marlins started playing well. You're talking about 
one of, if not the best division in baseball because the Braves won that division last year. The Phillies are a team that is up and coming and you expect to play better this year. The Nationals won the dang World Series last year. And then the Mets were a team that finished really hot and had pretty high expectations coming into the season with one of the better, if not the best rotation in starting rotation in baseball. So it's just been difficult. We're talking about the Yankees injuries to see a source of strength really become a weakness for them because other than Jacob deGrom, they really don't have anybody to roll out there, whether that be Michael Walker, Rick Porcello. They are starting Seth Lugo now. Robert Gesellman was slated to start a game this weekend against the Yankees before they were canceled. So it's just a balancing act, and it's been really difficult for them because they have been, as we as has been well documented and you always bring up, they had a great year with injuries last year in terms of the starting rotation. There was no depth, but they were able to maintain the health, and, and the starting pitching was really there. And if somebody were to get hurt, and in this case they've had the injuries, they've had the opt-out with Stroman, they had nothing in behind them. And it has exposed the issue with depth this year for the Mets. I think that that's been a huge shortfall of Brody Van Wagenen's being general manager. He has really thrown the depth and the young talent to the wind and saying, I'm going to try and go for it and trade for some veterans and, and try and win it that way. But this is a year, 2020, 60 games, 30-man roster, when you've got people testing positive for COVID and a short buildup where you're going to need to you're you're going to need to emphasize the depth. The Mets did not have that, and maybe looking back on it, we we shouldn't be so surprised that they're struggling because their organization from top to bottom is just not operating in a fashion that is conducive to being successful, in particular in 2020 with the way it's setting up. And they've been victimized by some opt-outs. Stroman opted out. Cespedes just abandoned the team, didn't let anyone know he was opting out, which is par for the course of his latter portion of the Mets' tenure. But those are excuses because if you have the proper depth in your organization, you're going to overcome that if you're the New York Mets. And they really haven't so far. As you mentioned, Nick, it's disappointing in the sense that the division is underperformed. But it's created opportunity. Uh, when they were winning those couple of games in Miami, you started to sense, okay, maybe they're turning a corner here. They have a clear path where if Miami tapers off like we would expect, the second-place team automatically makes a postseason this year. So the Mets could easily slot into a playoff spot. The question is now, if they're ravaged by a COVID-19 crisis, that is going to severely hamper their ability to make the postseason. The Mets are not equipped two weeks from now to play two or three doubleheaders with their current pitching staff. It will just not work out well. So if they're one of those teams that needs to make up all these games and they try to get near 60 games, that will play against the Mets, not for them. Under a normal schedule, I'd say I'm still high on the Mets to make the playoffs because of how vastly underperforming the National League East has been. I'm not looking at the schedule in an optimistic light the rest of the way for the Mets. It's hard to because of, again, the issues with the starting rotation. They just don't have anybody consistently who they can run out there and you sit there and say, I feel really good about their chances of winning today. And with that said, they are a game and a half out of second place in their division. 
and that charge can be made of the Marlins as well with the COVID-19 issues, let alone the perhaps roster deficiencies that may expose themselves as this season progresses. You can't sleep on the Nationals with the way that they can pitch, and hopefully they can get Steven Strasburg back with some of the issues that he's had injury-wise. But when you look up and down with Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, when all healthy, that is still a team that you need to pay attention to. And the Phillies, you can't sleep on either. So it's all it's all close in the National League East, and we'll see, again, how it works out as the season goes on. But it's just hard to be confident in the Mets, who, again, have made up some ground. They were in the basement for a long time in the NL East, but it's just hard to, to feel like it's sustainable with the bullpen issues. It's like, can they pitch well enough to get a lead? And then will they hit well enough? Will they pitch well enough to, to keep the other offense at bay? Will they hit well enough to get a lead? And if they do all those things, which seem like a chore, can they hold the lead? And that's something they haven't been able to do for two years now. So there are just a lot of things that when you look at the Mets, you're sitting there saying it's going to be really tough. They're going to have to play pretty perfect baseball because of some of the deficiencies that are on their roster. Maybe they can do it over a 60 game stretch. That is, again, one of the interesting aspects of the season this year, you can hide things that are not pretty about your ball club for those 60 games, but it's going to be a challenge for the Mets in a really good division. Should be very intriguing how the season continues to unfold. We will be back every week with new episodes of the Nosebleeds podcast right here on WFUVsports.org or wherever you get your podcasts. For Nick DeLuca, Emmanuel Barbari, we'll catch you next week. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast.